Recall the Greek mathematician that lamented the fact that a column of soldiers could not cross a bridge because they had to go in a straight line. Going through a straight line would take them through an infinite amount of points. Archimedes used as the basis of his mathematics another Hellenistic mathematician, Euclid, from two generations prior. Archimedes was not only known for his development of the concept of pi, the relationship of the diameter of a circle to its circumference, equally groundbreaking was a more abstract idea, that of infinity, and he understood that a line had an infinite amount of points. Euclidean mathematics was geometry, and it was done in two dimensions. But a column of soldiers could use the third dimension. They could actually leap into the third dimension and bypass these infinite amount of points. Unfortunately for Archimedes, this bridge was a gangplank of warships, and the soldiers were Roman soldiers invading the Greek stronghold of Syracuse on the island of Sicily. As the legend goes, the Roman general gave strict orders to his soldiers not to harm Archimedes, as he was the inventor of many devices of commerce and war. But when the Roman soldiers entered Archimedes' study, he dismissed them, saying he was working and they should come back later. They got so infuriated with Archimedes that they slayed him on the spot. The addition of a large third spatial dimension bypassing the two-dimensional plane, that of plane very similar to what we discussed with the Flatlanders, allowed the soldiers to travel to another reality, the reality of three dimensions. We talked about the large spatial dimensions, the three of volume and the one of time. Now we're going to go back to our Calabial, the Planck-sized dimensions that are compactified, and see what would happen if we expanded those to the size of the universe. Where could we go? Where would they take us? It is not so far-fetched that these other dimensions could expand to the size of the universe. All dimensions, including our three volume and one of time, at one time were compacted to the Planck size. All dimensions were at Planck's length at one time. What held the dimensions back from expanding was the one-dimensional strings. They surrounded this 11-dimensional compacted calabial. The strings go through all paths and they're winding around. This is Feynman's summation of paths. Seems we do the same thing. When we walk from one end of the room to the other, we go through all possible paths. Those paths may take us around the edge of Andromeda or through time. The summation of all these paths, however, average out to what we would consider classical physics or Newton's law. At the Big Bang, the one-dimensional string, the summation of paths, some of these paths held the dimensions in, but there was so much energy the three volume dimensions and one time dimension escaped to expand out to the volume of our known universe now. Let us first consider then what would happen if more than three volume and one time dimension escaped. What 
qualities to reality, what changes in causality would these other dimensions give? We already talked about the fourth volume dimension, what we considered as the fifth dimension, elucidated by Kaluza and later clarified by Klein. This was the dimension that allowed for electromagnetic energy to propagate through the vacuum, the medium of wave propagation. But what are, where else would this fifth dimension take us? To understand this, we must understand the possible solutions to the quantum measurement problem. We talked about the quantum measurement problem in our introduction when we talked about double slit experiment that consciousness collapsed the wave function. Remember the wave function is the probability wave function developed by Schrodinger. One explanation is the many worlds approach. This idea states that the probability wave does not collapse but it continues and all permutations of the probability wave actually are manifest in either a physical universe or a quantum potential universe. There are different strata of these types of universes. Let's talk about the first strata. The first strata would be a timeline where all initial conditions are the same. There was a big bang and you exist. You are the observer. You take the measurement. However, in at some point, and at many points actually, you may move right instead of left, up instead of down, have a different thought, a different event may happen. And that will cause a splitting, like a line going into a Y. It'll split off into a totally different universe. It will actually decohere from our universe and become separate and become impossible in three volume dimensions and one dimension of time to reach. Eventually, that universe will split and the universes formed there will split in a ever-expanding cascade of fractal universes, physical or quantum universes. In one universe, you may die, and in another universe, you are absolutely alive. Each universe contains your ancestors in it, but from the present point of the split, there is a, quite a difference. All this sounds very bizarre, and is also very consistent with the mathematics of quantum mechanics, a mathematics that remains computationally consistent out to a hundred billionth of a decimal point. Now, if we lived in a universe that had a fourth volume dimension along with one dimension of time, expanded so we could travel through these like the Roman soldiers were able to leap into the third dimension, then we could potentially reach these other quantum universes that have decohered for, with ours and were consistent in both having us as an observer and in the same initial conditions. The next strata of quantum universes for Schrodinger's wave function to progress into are those that have different initial conditions. Maybe at the Big Bang, inflation lasted longer or the, or, or the universes expanded out further with inflation. In these universes, because of chaos, the Earth never formed or 60 million years ago, an asteroid did not hit the Yucatan Peninsula and wipe out the dinosaurs, and instead of humans, the uh, creatures making the quantum measurement are reptilian or more like birds, birds actually evolving from dinosaurs. In such a quantum reality, the divergence, the splitting of universes, would split octagonal to the fifth dimensional plane and rise above it, and thus, in order to reach it, you would need a total of six expanded dimensions, five dimensions of volume and one dimension of time. Remember, such a universe is absolutely possible as our universe contains a total of 10 dimensions of volume and one dimension of time.
So far, the first two strata of universes have the same physical properties and thus may be contained within our own universe. The reason we don't see them is in the beginning, at the Big Bang, there was inflation and the universe expanded by 10 to the 26 to 10 to the 75th power. So much of the light hasn't reached us. These universes are beyond the event horizon of our universe, that place where expanding universe, due to the fact of great distance, starts to expand beyond the speed of light and is no longer part of our, our observable universe. Recall how this happens. Remember, if you, have, if you blow up a balloon and you have two points that are close together and one that's far, the, the two points that are close together will move away from each other slower than the two part points that are far apart from each other. As you go to a certain point, the universe will expand so fast due to a distance that it goes beyond the speed of light. These other regions of our universe are now unobtainable as their light will never reach us. The next strata of quantum universes is those where the physical laws are different. And this is what we would consider the multiverse. We will talk about in the next lecture how universes are born, that there has to be some change in the physical properties of energy and matter in order for a universe to decohere and become a separate universe at the event horizon of a black hole. The changes in physical property, such as mass and quantum spin, can be very subtle, however. They can only be different by one in a billionth or a hundred billionth of a percent. In fact, if they're too different, the universes will never harbor life. Say, for example, the strong force. If it's slightly stronger, the stars will burn themselves out. They're, they will burn hot and use up their fuel so quickly that life has no chance to evolve. If they're too weak, the stars will never form and fusion will never occur. In a cold universe, life can also not occur. Only a very small number of these universes may be compatible with sentient life. Out of the myriad of possibilities, it is estimated by some physicists that the chance of finding such a compatible universe would be similar to finding a single subatomic particle within our universe. But not even that. By multiplying the same amount of particles, you'd have to do it five times. So it would be the chance of finding one subatomic particle in 10 to the 500th power of universes. But if the multiverse is, as some physicists think, a number 10 to the 1,000th power, then the number of universes with the parameters to harbor sentient life could be 10 to the 500th. 10 to the 500th is the same as taking the number of subatomic particles in our universe, multiplying that number times the same number five and a half times. A lot of universes for the probability wave of Schrodinger to progress into. But in order to reach such a universe, you'd have to take one of the compacted dimensions within the Calabiao, now the seventh dimension, and raise it up off the six-dimensional plane in orthogonal position, and expand that dimension to the size of a universe. The next strata of universes may be the most bizarre. And in order to reach that, you would have to go through another dimension, take another dimension out of the Calabiao, the eighth dimension. You'd have, that would have to rise up orthogonal to the seventh dimensional plane. The dimension would be expanded from Planck's length to the size of the universe, so we could traverse it. But what we'd find going to the next strata of universes 
is an 11th dimensional universe, but the number of expanded dimensions may be different. We played around with this idea in the last lecture, developing universes with one-dimensional and two-dimensional creatures. The one-dimensional creature was in a type of purgatory, unable to move, only forward and backward, and that's as long as he didn't bump into another one of his kindred. The idea of having a one-dimensional creature, however, is nearly impossible. Where would the complexity of life be? The innumerable functions that a living cell has to undergo in a line without height or width. The same is true if only two dimensions expanded. In two dimensions, you have length and width, but the thickness would only be at Planck's length or less. How could the complexity of life function in such a thin film? In an indirect way, I was talking with uh, a friend of mine. We were having a cognac tasting. Uh, he's a uh, Princeton engineer. He works on integrated circuits. Apparently, it's kind of interesting the way they do it. They put out these circuits like on a big movie screen like you would go to the movies, and they focus that all those circuitry onto a small etching of silicon. The problem is the etching radiation, the wavelengths are so, are, are so big, you can't make finer and finer etching. He was telling me about the use of uh, tungsten gas puffs that uh, release a super ultraviolet radiation that allows this etching. But then we got thinking, well, he may be out of a job soon because as you miniaturize, at five atomic diameters, quantum effects take over. And these are very dramatic. The, uh, you get tunneling. Actually, the electron arbitrarily goes through wormholes in such a diffuse manner that they leak out of, the, out of the circuit, and the circuit becomes unreliable. So if the information transfer at a large distance of five atomic diameters becomes unreliable, how could a two-dimensional creature whose thickness is much less than this, a quadrillionth or more smaller than the five atomic diameter wafer that in which circuitry becomes unreliable. And then there's other problems for this 11-dimensional universe. What if there's more expanded dimensions? And we kind of touched on this. Fields become weaker much faster as there are more expanded spatial dimensions. The inverse of the cube, the inverse of r to the fourth, will leave a universe very dark, very cold, and what does it do to gravity? Well, it diminishes gravity rapidly. So stars can't form, they can't condense, and thus they can't undergo fusion. Fusion allows not only for radiant energy, but it causes the fusion of protons forming the heavier elements, such as carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen, essential for biological processes. M-theory tells us nothing about the prevalence of such universes but either way, it is unlikely that they will form life in order for us to entangle. Let us leave the last three spatial dimensions compacted within the Calabiao for the time being and talk about another approach to either the wave propagation or wave collapse in quantum mechanics. The other approach is consciousness. Consciousness was first proposed by Eugene Wigner, a friend and close confidant of Albert Einstein. In fact, Wigner was a co-author of a letter that went to Roosevelt that urged him to start the Manhattan Project as he feared the Nazis were well ahead of us. The original formulation of the quantum measurement problem came from Schrodinger himself. Schrodinger set out a fictitious thought experiment 
where he placed a cat in a box with a lump of uranium. The decay of uranium is a quantum event. If the uranium decayed, it would set off a Geiger counter that would hit a vial of poison and kill the cat. The cat was sealed in a box, and according to Schrodinger's equation, the cat was in a state where he was neither dead or alive. It was a probability state. The only time you would know that the cat was dead or alive if you opened the box and made a measurement. Before the many worlds approached, the only explanation was it was the consciousness of the observer that collapsed the wave function. Eugene Wigner explained this in a form that consciousness was the basic element of all reality and of all nature. The universe would always be in a state of limbo, of multiple probabilities, until a conscious being came to collapse the wave function. But if you use the consciousness of a sentient being to collapse the wave function and go through the mathematics, you'll see that Wigner had to have a friend, another conscious observer, to say that Wigner was dead or alive in order to tell if the cat was dead or alive. And that friend needed a friend to collapse his wave function or her wave function, on and on and on, until finally there had to be a cosmic consciousness to collapse the wave function of the universe in order for this theory to be mathematically consistent. The quantum measurement problem of wave and particle duality is not the only paradox that the universe seems to, through sleight of hand, shield the conscious being from being able to measure. But the wave-particle duality seems to be so far the only form in which we can isolate consciousness as the prime variable that cloaks the mind from the paradoxes and causality-breaking features of nature. Let me illustrate another example of a paradox in quantum mechanics, one of many. It was proposed by Heisenberg. Heisenberg was also a contemporary of Einstein, but he was a German and a very loyal Nazi. He tried to get other physicists like Niels Bohr to come on to the German side. If he would have been successful, it seems that cities like Moscow, London, Paris, and even New York may be distant radioactive memories. Heisenberg's uncertainty theory says that you can never know the velocity and the location of a particle simultaneously. This is not a problem with just measuring. This is a feature of nature, a disruption of causality ever hidden from the sentient mind. But modern humans have only been around for about 150,000 years, and our primates may be at most 8 million years. So who collapsed the wave function prior to this? Some of Wagner's protégés later said that, well, maybe any animal with a neuronet mind, a mouse, or even a worm, could collapse the wave function, taking the universe out of its multi-potential state into a solidified reality. Einstein seemed to scoff at this idea when people would come over to his house on Mercer Street in Princeton, he would take them out to the backyard and show them the moon, and ask, if a mouse does not look at the moon, does the moon really exist? Surprisingly sarcastic question, the answer may be that the moon doesn't exist without an observer. My own opinion on this, I hope somewhat informed, is that sentient consciousness is required to collapse wave functions when you're talking about subatomic particles that reveal a paradoxical duality for such things as particles and waves. Observers with neuronet minds may augment the collapse of the wave function, but may not be necessary for large structures to collapse. The probability wave function of a rock, a lake, a mountain, a planet, or a star may occur spontaneously with its interaction to the environment being hit by gamma rays and other jostling particles that disrupt the wave function. This is called the objective collapse theory. 
However, it seems that for certain types of very specific wave collapse, you need sentient consciousness, or you need a multiverse, or maybe you need both. Duality is prevalent in quantum mechanics, so why can't both possibilities be true simultaneously? Well, as far as consciousness goes, we have to figure out what is the source of consciousness. Is it our brain or something else? The human brain at most has about 10 to the 17th interconnections counting quantum entanglement. However, is this enough to create a sense of self, a soul? I spoke to you in the introduction that we would soon know when computers have such complexity that rivals the brain, remember computers have another advantage. They have an external energy source so they don't have to use a lot of their me mechanism for um, metabolism and creating the polarities. And also, instead of their conduction like our brains going at about 120 meters per second maximum, the uh, electrical impulses in a computer can travel almost at 300,000 kilometers a second. It is also possible we may have already reached this interconnection rate of uh, 10 to the 17th power, may, as all, may have already been achieved as all the computers of the world, or most of them, are connected to each other through the internet. Have any of these said, I think, so therefore I am? So if the complexity of self-awareness sentience does not exist in our, in our 11 dimensional universe, where else could we find it? Well, we have to go back to Ramanujan and his modular functions. And what, even before the development of, of string theory and in the early throes of quantum mechanics, the, the modular functions of Ramanujan, though I'm not sure exactly if he was applying it to this problem, showed that the strings vibrate in both 11 dimensions and 26 dimensions. Possibly, and only possibly, consciousness exists in a higher dimensional manifold. And the next one we have that we know the string will vibrate through and thus resonate with is 26 dimensions. Now let us go into some real speculation and go back to our last three compacted dimensions, pull them out of the Calabial and make them the size of the universe. Where possibly could they take us? Well, it would be unlikely they would take us to a lower dimension than we've already had. We've already gone through every possible permutation of 11 dimensions. They either take us nowhere, which is very possible, or they could take us into hyperspace. They could be part of a hyperspace volume that allows us to traverse in hyperspace to a higher dimensional manifold that we can entangle with. First higher dimensional manifold that we understand that is stable and allows vibration of the string the same as it does in 11 dimensions, it will in 26 dimensions. Remember back to our flatlanders when they encountered the third dimensional creature, they considered him a god because of all the added possibilities that an additional dimension bestowed. What if we were able to entangle thus to a higher dimensional manifold? The manifold of 26 dimensions, the manifold predicted by Ramanujan. Could a 26-dimensional manifold be the seat of our consciousness? Maybe there's even higher dimensional manifolds beyond that. It's a shame that Ramanujan died so young. Maybe in his modular functions, he could elucidate that. In 1976, his lost notebooks were found. They still are trying to be interpreted. 
It would be fantastic if inside those notebooks the seeds for ideas of higher dimensional manifolds exist. If there is symmetry with hyperspace, then what do the dimensions of a 26-dimensional manifold, where would they take us? What would be their nature? There would be 15 additional dimensions. I'd like to single out a possibility of one of these dimensions. Out of the 10 spatial dimensions, we found one dimension of time. Time was a, a linear progression through change. It could go forward and backward. Unfortunately for us as large systems, we only can go forward because of the thermodynamic effect of entropy and a progression to disorder. Subatomic particles that do not undergo entropy easily go back and forth. The only indication that a subatomic particle is going backward in time is, is often just the charge of that particle. An electron, as we said, became a positron. But if our linear dimension of time is like a line, then adding another dimension of time would be like a plane. And you would have an infinite amount of intersecting lines of time. Such a two-dimensional time plane could represent all the timelines going forward and backward and all the permutations within them of all the different strata of universes with 11 dimensions, allowing them to be interconnected and in a sense entangled. Let us conclude this talk by giving our references. My first reference, Max Tegemark's book, The Mathematical Universe, was actually a source not used within the talk. But before concluding this podcast, I wanted to read Max Tegemark's book on the mathematical universe, as Max is the chief critic of both Penrose and Hameroff, also one of the most vocal dissenters of the idea that the quantum wave actually collapses, and especially that it collapses due to consciousness. Tegemark believes that the wave function never collapses. His theory actually parallels almost exactly the discussion we had on multiple parallel universes, the multiverse and quantum universes. His idea actually is that uh, the variability that we note is because we are in multiple universes at the same time as clones and actually imperceptibly different branching due to quantum events gives the variability that we notice in both our reality and in our mathematics. Thus, there is no need for the wave collapse as everything we do, all permutations of actions allowed within the physical laws are realized in one of the levels of the multiverse or in other quantum universes. Remember, this is an active professor emeritus who is, has taught both at Princeton and at MIT. Unfortunately, it is at this time very difficult to tell who is right, whether consciousness prevails or the fractal splitting to multiple parallel universes. The mathematics works fine with both theories. As I've already mentioned, I believe that this is another duality and that both occur simultaneously depending on how they are measured. My primary reason for Tegemart was, however, his criticism of the quantum brain theory as proposed by Penrose, Hameroff, and a cadre of other quantum biologists. Tegemart's reasoning is quite sound. In order for the brain to function as a quantum computer, then these microtubules would have to have, their have the same quantum wave function. They would have to be in coherence. But in a warm, wet environment like the brain, coherence is lost very rapidly. 
10 to the negative 20 seconds, hardly enough time for a light to transverse a medium-sized molecule, certainly shorter than the formulation of a cogent thought. Higgamark, however, is a physicist. His calculations are eloquent and exact. However, he is not a biologist. He is not a quantum biologist. He is a quantum physicist. Quantum biology has revealed metabolic systems in which coherence lasts long enough to participate in biological functions. One example is photosynthesis, where coherence is important for the economic harvesting of photons. One cannot imagine a more disturbing environment to coherence than photosynthesis, where the chloroplasts are micrometers from the surface and being bombarded by a constant stream of high-energy photons. We should not be surprised by the occurrence of coherence within biological systems. We talked about the Casimir effect, which allowed for negative vacuums. Plants, just like nerve cells, have microtubules. They have double lipid membranes. It would seem strange to me that the mechanical brain has such functionality such as a sense of self. I recently read a book by Misha Kaku, The Future of the Mind. I really enjoy his writing. He distills things out so vividly. He describes the mechanical brain as all the parts putting together a type of movie, and it's actually projected into the occipital lobe. Unlike your typical movie theater, there are other sensations added. Like a movie theater, there is, of course, sound. But there is also proprioception, the sense of body relationship in relation to space. There is, of course, touch. There is temperature. And there is physical pleasure that cannot be conveyed in your typical movie. So I got to thinking, well, the brain is, of course, uh, an analog computer. It uses wave frequency and amplitude. It's also a type of digital computer at the synapse where concentrations of uh, neurotransmitters convey pluses and minuses depending on how many receptors are stimulated or suppressed. My home computer can easily correlate the same type of material and place it onto a screen. It is known as virtual reality. But who is watching the movie? No computer has a sense of itself. I would tell you that in the world's spy organizations, this, the NSA, the most powerful computers in the world have less of a sense of themselves than, than a fruit fly. A fruit fly will struggle to survive a participant in the natural reality. No computer does that. The very day I was thinking about this, my wife informed me I was invited to a birthday party. At the birthday party were two physicists, physics professors actually, two advanced computer scientists, a mathematician, and we Eventually, I conjoled them to speak about these things. They only wanted to talk about travel, history, and cognac. But when I finally got around to it, my suspicions were confirmed. Your computer, even the most advanced computer, has about as much consciousness as a rock in your yard. Computers can't even generate random numbers. It's all pseudo-random. It's just a statistical trick. In order for a computer to have true random number generation, it has to be connected to some type of quantum event like th thermal variations in the atmosphere or pressure waves in the ocean. What upgrades our computers is its interaction with the human mind.
but the human mind, if it's an analog digital computer, like pseudo number generation, would have a limit on imagination and inventiveness. This is my prime argument why the human brain is a quantum computer entangled to the multiverse, entangled to the higher manifolds of hyperspace. The human mind, beyond its mechanical properties as a quantum computer, would be able to entangle to all aspects of the universe, all reality, and be omnipotential. A quantum computer would have the potential to watch the movie in the occipital lobe. Let me end the podcast by telling you the sources I actually used to put together this podcast. First is uh, Professor David Deutsch at the University of Oxford. Him and his colleagues showed that um, equations of quantum mechanics arise from the mathematics of parallel universes. The work of Stephen Hawkins clarifying a discipline in mathematics called imaginary time. Imaginary time is imaginary time is deeply misnamed. It is real as real time. It arises as a vertical line to the horizontal line of time. The example on coherence in biological systems comes from coherently wired light harvesting in photosynthetic marine algae at ambient temperatures by Elizabeth Collin and Kathy Wong from the um, University of Toronto, published in Nature in 2010. There were some aspects of um, physics that I kind of glossed over, like relativity, but if you want to read something by The Learning Company by Professor James Gates, one of my favorite educators, head of quantum research at the University of Maryland, Professor Gates is the only one I know that can derive some of these equations using no more than trigonometry and adding dimensions to them. And it's really a worthwhile read, or if you go to the learning company at your library to um, go through the series of lectures. Next podcast will be on the birth of universes and the formation of the multiverse. I look forward to you uh, listening to that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.